You are listening to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empowers you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. And I'm super thrilled to bring you stories, inspirations, and strategies to get more meaning in your work and in your life, make more money, and lead a movement to change the world. I am a digital communication and personal branding strategist, business advisor, award-winning author, and a speaker. I am on a mission to help professionals corporate executives and entrepreneurs to become leading voices in their field by finding what makes them unique and creating compelling messages to the right audience. If you are ready to leverage your personal brand in a meaningful way to create a successful business you love, get in touch. Book a strategic call at francinebelli.com slash call. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E. B-E-L-E-Y-I dot com slash call. So this is the part two of my interview with Dr. Bruce Lloyd, Emeritus Professor in Strategic Management, London South Bank University. In last week's episode, Bruce shared great insight on leadership, wisdom, knowledge, management, and organization, as well as the choice of his career, the relationship between quality of conversation and good decision-making. In today's episode, we are getting a bit more personal as he shares how he tried to escape a controlling mom on being book alcoholic and having a curious mind, true meaning of love his unfulfilled desire of being a philanthropist, and much, much more. So let's dive in. When did you realize who you are and what you are meant to do in life? I haven't. <laughs> so this question is always like... <laughs> that's, a yeah. that's a continual process, and it probably gets more difficult as mm. you get older. Mm. Uh, I've reflected a bit on that, Mm -hmm. and if you wanted to, I do think that this whole issue of meaning has become a uh, broadly talked about subject in in business and lots of other areas in the last 10 or 20 years, which wasn't Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. decades ago when we were much more institutionalized. Mm -hmm. And in practice, I think meaning comes from three or four sources. One is that a lot of people get underlying meaning from a religious, a set of religious convictions, most of which they're brought up with, but sometimes they acquire them, and um, these become a very, they're a very, very powerful framework within which to manage the rest of one's life. In fact, I, I would say to some extent, a lot of my life has been taken up with the search for meaning. And it would have been so much better if I'd been able to find it early on and not wasted so much time looking for it <laughs> in places that it wasn't going to be there. Um, on the other hand, there's a lot of people who get meaning from uh, a passionate commitment to something. 
And that can be um, being an Olympic athlete or all sorts of other things. There's an enormous number of remarkable people around because they have enormous commitment to a particular subject area. Um, and I have enormous admiration for them. But in a way, I had too much curiosity to be able to do that. I was never um, obsessively focused in that sort of way. On the other hand, you can get an enormous, a lot of meaning out of just being focused on the moment, just like um, having the discussion with you, mm -hmm. having a conversation, having mm -hmm. a, a, a meaningful conversation. Mm -hmm. But it's meaningful because it's engaging, mm -hmm. because it's taking you into the moment. Mm -hmm. I also find that that can happen, which I like to do whenever I can, mm -hmm. photographing nature, mm -hmm. colour and light. Now, those that the intensity of the relationship with the subject can generate meaning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, that's another dimension. Mm -hmm. There's another dimension which I haven't really got involved in practically, and that is uh, as much as I perhaps should have done, because I've never really been an operator. But a lot of people get an enormous amount of meaning from doing things for other people. And that's why, and we get into a terrible mess about this, that's why the caring professions are not only incredibly valuable for the people who have been cared for, but the carers, in an awful lot of cases, get a lot of meaning out of caring. Now, I don't want to be too controversial, but I think that um, caring has tended to be something that has been split a bit, probably 80-20, female as opposed to males. And the, the males have got caught up in the materialistic one side. The, the, the general historic pattern is that women have been more involved in relationships and the caring professions and um, doing things for other people, which is actually, I think, incredibly valuable for society and for them. The problem now is that that activity is being devalued mm -hmm. because they want to be like men mm -hmm. who are being more concerned mm -hmm. with power mm -hmm. rather than with the responsibility and caring and compassionate side of the use of power. Mm -hmm. and there's another dimension which um, some people would say uh, it is the same thing, and that is love. Some people talk, talk about it, but love itself can create meaning for people. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it only creates meaning if it's in the context of caring. Mm -hmm. And it's quite an interesting um, problem for society that a lot of relationships have had the caring dimension undermined and that is undermining the love dimension mm. and that is undermining the meaning dimension and that is undermining the value of the relationship. And so you're seeing a lot of different things coming together which again um, I think are going to 
radically change. We haven't seen how far they're going to change society, at least in Western society. Though, when I say Western society, I was in, been very lucky to travel to some parts of the world and we are aware uh, they've been pretty well cut off from the industrialization process. And all we're exporting to them as fast as we possibly can is technology. They're all getting into their mobile phones and fantastic, great. But what we're not learning at the same time is that that should be a two-way process because what most of those societies have in abundance is, if you don't have technology, is a focus on relationships. And actually, if you look at a lot of them, they have, a, in their sense, context, a more meaningful society than we come across when we travel on the tube, which is pretty <laughs> horrendous. I mean, when you travel in it in Russia, you look around and you say, God, what's, what's going on here? Because are we producing a sustainable society from all this? Is it anything that we can make any significant changes to? And unfortunately, mm. uh, because of political issues around at the moment, it looks as though we're going backwards. Mm -hmm. And I love what you say, actually, sometimes, um, you know, when you go to least developed country or, you know, where the industrialization hasn't, you know, uh, been so well developed, as you say, relationship and the human aspect is really... Um, very well developed and then I know that this, there is a famous story when a western woman went to these countries trying to help people and then they ask her oh, what about your family, how is it there and then she says oh I don't have a family and things like that and they say really and we're going to help you so it was kind of reversed yeah. they were saying oh my gosh if you don't have any family we're going to help you then so and it's good you know it, it is um you know insightful what you're saying that sometimes yeah it can be both ways actually because this it's, thing not, is not, yeah. it's not yeah it's not we we focus on it as a one-way process mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we don't focus on what we can learn from this mm -hmm. And there's a lot of wisdom mm -hmm. that comes back because mm -hmm. of their focus on relationships. Mm -hmm. Now, as it so happens, I, don't, I haven't got any children, at mm -hmm. least mm -hmm. none that I know of. Mm -hmm. But, uh, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I've been in that situation, mm -hmm. and they've asked me about family, and I said, I haven't got any children. Really? It happened to you? <laughs> but for, for a lot of people, mm -hmm. the caring role of young children produces meaning for their lives. Mm -hmm. The growing up of young people in this world because of the incredible amount of choices that they have and because of the difficulty in being able to shape these choices in any meaningful way mm -hmm. or even work out whether one should shape them and let, or let them do whatever they want mm -hmm. is so stressful mm -hmm for a lot of people mm. and uh, I come across a lot of people who get a, a lot of value out of talking about their grandchildren and that's fine nearly all women mm -hmm. who get, and that's one of the things that um, 
is again quite important for our society because men have never had that um, ability to, to generate meaning from those sort of relationships in the same sort of way. Mm. And one of the factors in influencing the fact that they don't live as long is that they're more likely to lose the will to live. And this epidemic that we've got about suicide is to, uh, and older people um, not living as long, uh, is all to do with the will to live mm. and the meaning that they're getting from their life mm. and trying to find a way that uh, everybody can get more meaning for their life, from their lives is really absolutely critical yeah. because without it, what we're doing at the moment is certainly not sustainable. So, um, you know, tell me, what did you struggle with the most in life? Well, compared with an awful lot of people, mm. I think I probably had it very easy. Although I was born in Guernsey mm -hmm. during the German occupation mm. and there's no doubt that my parents had a very difficult time in the early years and they ended up with three relatively young children when the war ended and I would say they've had, they had ten times more of a struggle. That is something that um, I don't know that I wouldn't don't see any point in feeling guilty about that. But um, the issue that arose, and I remember my father retiring because he felt he couldn't keep up with what was going on. And I sat, I'm increasingly coming to that conclusion. There's so much going on, and I just haven't got the focus. It's difficult to keep up with everything that's going on. I probably wasted years of my life unnecessarily reading the papers <laughs> on the pretext that I wanted to be well informed mm. and that was a sort of insecurity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now there's a paradox here and I don't know how true this is but usually the people who know the least about a subject are the people who have the strongest views about it. <laughs> yes, uh, we have an expression in French like that. Yes. And <laughs> the other side of that, and this is one of the things, if you like, the paradox of it, education, is it's making people so confused about everything because they can see all the sides of the points of view that they find it very difficult to take any decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, whether that's why up to a point power-driven entrepreneurs can be successful because they, as somebody once said, uh, my job isn't to make the right decisions because that would take too long mm -hmm. to work out, mm -hmm. but to make the decisions I make right. Yes. And that means you make the decision first and then you, you figure, deal, out, yeah. figure out that. Now, that is not a particularly um, compatible view with the educational industry that is trying to make people more, better and better informed about more and more things. 
but how do you bring them all together? Especially if you don't have some roots that tell you some of the answers. Oh. But I'm very pleased that I never had any children. Yeah, why? Because I think that uh, the pre first of all, I couldn't work out why I wanted to have them. Mm -hmm. And second, too many. Yeah. And how you, what I would, how I would bring them up? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well. Um, without being too controversial, mm -hmm. most situations about having children are 80% plus mm -hmm. driven by the interests of the woman, mm -hmm. the, the, mm -hmm. the mother. Mm -hmm. And uh, I happened to not come across anybody. And funnily enough, all the women that I've, nearly all the women that I've known in my life haven't had any children. And I think that in inside the educated groups of women now who are more and more wanting to take on the male roles in society they're having many many fewer children mm. now of course that gets masked by the fact that there's lots of other people who haven't been who have been excluded from that process mm. who are still having lots of children mm. but the next generation of is going to have much fewer children. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we've just had some figures out today, mm -hmm. that, yesterday, that show that the birth rate is mm -hmm. going down. Mm -hmm. Now that is the overall birth rate. If you broke that down between, in different sections of society, mm -hmm. you'd see that probably university educated women are having less than one <laughs> child. What is less than one? It's none, right? No, no. But oh, I yes, mean, you need two. Average, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You need two to mm -hmm. keep uh -huh. the, the, the country uh, going. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's very insightful what you say about um, being in, in the education, but actually finding that not focusing or not have, having to focus on too much information is you know also a way of anxiety actually so yes. and uh, i find that with myself as well often you know so what will be the you know if you you know you have to think <laughs> in a way of uh, you know of course that doesn't mean don't go to university but um how can we be less focused and and what you say really strike a point with me. Trying to read all those papers, which I also do actually, but a few less now. I put my attention on other type of information, mm. but still the same thing. So how can we really don't worry about what you know is going on and just 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 keep you know just make one decision and just go. Sometimes well, it's not very it's very easy to do. A lot of people want to go away on holiday to get away from the papers. <laughs> That's me. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, the sort of paradox of democracy mm. is telling us that we should be well informed mm. and we have to be part of, take part of the responsibility for what goes on. And that's creating uh, a lot of stress because of the imbalance between power and responsibility. Too, too much sense of responsibility and no power creates a lot of stress. Yeah. Um, but people don't talk mm. about it in that mm. context. Mm. 
but the other thing that increasingly I think people have to, to just look at when they see sources of information <laughs> is it telling me anything I don't know already mm. and then is it telling me anything that I can do something with that it's not just an interesting way of passing the time mm, mm. because you've got too many other things to do. Now, we have another issue arising at the university at the moment, which I've struggled with because I've been a bookaholic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've been a review editor for 25 years and I've collected a lot of books. Mm -hmm. And I rather like books and I would use books as decoration. <laughs> um, and they're they're reassuring, they're sources of information. I think I've got a very bad memory, but I just want to be able to remember where to go for the information, mm -hmm. for the detail. Mm -hmm. But when was the last time you went back to any particular book? Well, every now and again I do that. Mm -hmm. But what has happened at the university is we've just moved into a new building and we're supposed to go paperless. Mm. Now, the secret, and one of the things that I would recommend for people, but it's a paradox again, is to be as organized as possible. I've never been very organized. My files on the computer, my photograph files are not organized. Mm -hmm. My brother-in-laws are incredibly well organized. Mm -hmm. Some people just have the ability mm -hmm. or the discipline, mm -hmm. which comes from somewhere, mm -hmm. to organize things. Mm -hmm. Mine tend to be chaotic. <laughs> now, sometimes I would support that chaos mm -hmm. on the grounds that it can be more creative. creative. <laughs> that's what uh, most organized, disorganized yes. people say. Well, I'm not <laughs> sure that that's ever been researched. <laughs> but uh, on the other hand, you want people like accountants to be very organized. organized. Mm -hmm. They have to be. Yeah, because otherwise... Almost yeah. everybody in an institutional position has to be very well organized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because that is the secret of their success in a way. Mm -hmm. But people outside, if you if you went to an artist's studio... Mm -hmm. There's chaos everywhere. There's chaos mm -hmm. all over the place. Mm -hmm. So there is a a dichotomy and in the end like a lot of other areas you're trying to get the best of both worlds but if you don't understand the issues you will get the worst of both worlds and I think that that is one of the messages that I have about looking back on my life is that I've struggled with trying to get the best of both worlds without sufficiently understanding them and I'm sure I haven't got as much out of them as I would have done if I'd understood them better. Yeah, but what, what was the likelihood that you all understand? You try to understand, you couldn't. So there a way to understand what we need to understand faster? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there is. I, I don't know whether it was an advantage for me, but I don't think that I learned anything at school. Mm -hmm. or not very much. Mm. But... A lot of these issues that we talked about, mm. um, values, organized organizations, um, conversational skills, 
ought to be deeply embedded in the educational system because they are the sorts of things that are going to put you in good stead all your life. Mm -hmm. Knowing the date that King Charles II died <laughs> is not likely to be very <laughs> useful. the flower of the national except, flower, which I yeah, Except the paradox of that is that there's now an increasing number of game shows that ask you questions about irrelevant data. Like pointless, right? Is it not your pointless? Yes, but, but um, pointless does it in a... Yeah, they do it in a particularly different way. But a lot of them that do it in a trivia competition type way, um, people who know bits of information that would be of no use to anybody except in that competition <laughs> Are now, they're now finding a new outlet for it. <laughs> so, yes, to keep those knowledge going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm not sure that that is a good sign for society or not. Mm. But, well, how can we learn faster? You know, the education system is where it's at, obviously. Everybody is talking about the, you know, unrelated subject that we all learn at school, which wasn't useful and things like that. But now, if we have to think and if people have to be smarter, you know, and not lose their job to robots who can do this faster and better, what are the key things that we should be focusing on to make sure that I'm we sure. take decisions faster and we, 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 we keep ahead of the robots, right? <laughs> so we, we well, first keep of all, one step ahead of the robots. I'm not too worried about the robots, but it may be just my age. But uh, if you look back, and that's why history can be quite useful. If you look back mm, 50 years, I don't know whether you've ever seen pictures of telephone exchanges. They had rooms full of people who, women, who were putting plugs into different... Oh, people. yes, of course, yeah. Yes, I've seen those uh, pictures of old, uh, you know, black and white movies, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, all, all those, basically, were replaced by robots. Automation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where did they all go? They should have gone into other jobs. Mm -hmm. In general, um, people would be replaced by robots when they're doing mundane jobs and they would be moved into more creative jobs more, that require more personal service. And uh, there's lots of other areas. Uh, the other dimension that you always have to think about is that in the old days, I mean, I, I remember going around car factories full of people. Now they're full of robots. <laughs> now, who makes the robots? Who designs the robots? There's a lot of uh, creative, more creative jobs in that industry. And by and large, that's what we're doing. We're replacing the mechanization part of industry that can be automated relatively easily, with more creative activity around that, but also a much greater um, growth in the service industry. There are an awful lot of people who've been trapped into being economic slaves, and they've been encouraged into that through debt. And they, they have no choice but to put the making of money, even if it means cutting corners, ahead of all the other things we've been talking about. 
So one of the things everybody's got to think about is how important is money and material things in your life? And if, and it's quite extraordinary to come across these women that spend 50 million pounds in Harrods buying jewellery. Now, you have to say, how do they expect that to give meaning? Is sh shopping has become a, a problematic religion. It's a way of giving people meaning in their lives. Uh, I don't think that that's a very healthy and sustainable trend for the future. I'm not saying you've got to eliminate it altogether, but you've got to be much more realistic about what's really important in your life. And by the time you get into your 50s and 60s, you know, in general, that the focus isn't going to be on making more money. And even the old saying about marrying rich widows or widowers is not quite so relevant. But you don't really find, I've done a lot of travelling, fortunately, and I've been fortunate about it, but I think that the people who are roughing it seem to be enjoying it a lot more than the people who are <laughs> sitting on um, luxury environments becoming alcoholics. Mm. And they've been caught up in the wrong agendas. Mm -hmm. And so um, both groups will need a bit of educating mm -hmm. to get them to get the both best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. But I think now we're very, we run a very big risk that the materialistic agenda is not rewarding enough, is not sustainable, and we've got to be moving more into more meaningful relationships. Mm -hmm. So um, tell me, so um, looking back at your childhood, how has it prepared you to be who you are today? Only by accident. I don't, don't think there was any deliberate process. I think my um, challenging, shall we say, relationship with my mother encouraged me to travel and see the world. I mean, I probably might have been an explorer in a different era, but I wasn't fit enough, really. And also, she, she almost represented institutionalization, so she indirectly was responsible for me, me being a bit of a rebel. Mm. It, was, it wasn't what she intended. Mm. I think uh, school made me rethink what the educational processes ought to be about because I couldn't take for granted the things that I'd gone through in school. Okay, they were in the 50s and there were a lot of problems then and I think a lot of it's changed now, but I think that... Uh, uh, the, the other thing that I didn't really specialise in, because I wasn't focused enough, I don't think I specialised in hard work. I think I specialised more in avoiding work, particularly if it was something that somebody else was trying to get me to do. I remember some of my management jobs that I had in the past, I thought my main role was to do myself out of a job and that that would be very 
useful for the organisation, mm -hmm. for them to show that there wasn't anything for anybody to do here. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people use, find that they get promoted because of that, mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily get to the top. Sooner or later they find that they can't get away with that. Mm -hmm. Were you too intelligent to make sure that you dodged the system and you made your, your way effortlessly? You know, I don't think so. No, or I don't think no. so. When I look around now, an enormous number of people mm. that I come across are so much brighter than I am in all sorts of ways. And of course, to some extent, some of them have had advantages. I mean, I came to London essentially as an immigrant, I'm sure you did the same. <laughs> With nothing, no, no connections. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a long story, but I went to Birmingham to start with and got kicked out of Birmingham for two weeks and then went to London. I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to, that paid for my university, and so I was able to be independent. And that's what I was, I've always been very keen on, being independent. Mm -hmm. But that's a reaction to the fact that I always felt that my mother was too controlling. Now, the mistake that you make early on in life is that if you have this strong independence streak, you want to be very careful about getting married because you're going to lose it. Mm. <laughs> now, uh, um, later on in life, you've learned to live with it better. So maybe uh, if you've got that really, real strong um, you either have to be living independent lives or you have to leave it till your late middle age to get married. And then, um, if you're not wanting to have children, mm. yeah, I mean, com companionship is very important. Mm. Love, is, I mean, love as companionship as a form of love yeah. is incredibly important. Mm. Partly because, and this is a subject that is totally for another day, uh, is that the whole area of relationships is getting incredibly mixed up mm. and challenging and problematic. And if I was, I'm glad I wasn't a teenager at the time because, and this is uh, the choice as to what gender I belong to, mm -hmm. was never a question I asked. Now in 20 years time, mm you'll probably find that everybody has the right to choose their gender <laughs> but at the age of 20 mm. because technically they will be able to change it. Mm. What's this going to do to society? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another link which is, I, I didn't mention it at the time but you get to the point of giving it more thought. But, um, I got slightly interested because of futures in the transhumanism group who believe that within the next 20 or 30 years we're going to be controlling the ageing process. It's probably going to be too late for me. But I'm getting to the age where uh, it's the benefit of not having a lot of relations and a lot of close friends. So I haven't had to go to a lot of funerals. But I'm very conscious of the fact that both my parents died in the uh, 80s and 90s, mm -hmm. but they had a terrible time in the last five years of their life. They really lost an ability to be in control of their lives and it was very, very problematic for them. Mm -hmm. A great friend of mine who's 80, 
mid-80s lady, very successful she's been in all sorts of ways. Uh, last year went to Dignitas in Switzerland uh, to for a planned end of life. Mm. So the whole issue about that and so far I've been very lucky to be healthy mm -hmm. but my father went downhill mm. he was healthy all his life mm. and then mm. uh, in his 80s he started getting things wrong with him and he couldn't cope with it mm. because he'd lost control mm. and the, perhaps the paradox of it is for most of the time I mean, you find this much more than that. I do, but even I do, getting involved in all these sort of activities, when you're involved in them, you're not conscious of ageing at all. Mm. I don't think that my ability, I might have given different answers, mm -hmm. but I don't think my capacity for talking about these issues would have been any different and my weight's roughly the same mm. as that was when I was in my 20s. So, to some extent, and it's an interesting issue that is not um, researched enough, people revisit their 20s in their retirement. They can take up hobbies that they had before, they take up interests, they can be freer of responsibilities, so they reconnect with social movements and things uh, or there's a big industry called geriatric backpacking mm -hmm. so they, you know they, they travel a lot but the ones that do it in the most luxury don't seem to be the happiest mm -hmm. because they've spent so much time focusing on material things whilst the backpackers just go by themselves meet other people and yeah. are more so, happier so what the, the issue there is that they are more in tune with the relationship dimension than the material dimension. What would you say is your superpower? I think I have an insatiable curiosity. I don't recognize it, I don't want to recognize it as a superpower. And unfortunately, it's not a super responsibility. I think it would be much more valuable for me to be concerned with caring and relationships and responsibilities then we managed to avoid them by not having children because that's a very major responsibility and we don't spend enough time working out how we can bring up the next generation better mm. that is probably the most important thing mm. if we want a better future mm. Mm -hmm. uh, although I think that being a teacher mm. has a great of being in the university has a great advantage that in a way, everybody, you get involved in bring, bringing up everybody and they're bringing up you. And that's what, it's a sort of parenting by proxy. Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, got it, yeah. So now let's talk about money uh, briefly. Mm. So how do you manage to do both? How can we manage to do both money? So the reason why we ask this question is that some people sometimes work in a job where they have a lot of money but they don't love what they you know they do and other people we talked earlier about like social workers or teachers or things like that or some other people who actually are struggling to make the money perhaps that you know they could be making okay how can you actually merge both 
Well, I suppose the first thing to say is that society isn't fair. And a lot of the jobs are really important for society don't get paid what they should get paid. And one reason for that, and this is a paradox, is that people get a lot of other benefits from the job, uh, emotional benefits. Uh, but in my view, if you're saying that you've got to pay head of an organisation £5 million to do a job, they're the wrong person. And certainly if you want to pay half a million pounds for a vice-chancellor, they shouldn't be doing the job because they want the money. Now, everybody somehow should be getting a reasonable, they've got to have be paid something, but I think that anything over a couple of hundred thousand a year <laughs> is quite reasonable. And one of the things that would enormously benefit everybody is to abolish tax havens and to make sure that all these people in Monaco and the Cayman Islands and all these other places pay their taxes. Because what a lot of them manage to do, apart from producing enormous yachts, which, okay, generate some employment, but they're not really beneficial. But they've got to see how these people who spend a lot of their life paying as little tax as possible, quite a few of them come back into society as great philanthropists and get all sorts of awards for their philanthropy. But they never paid tax that they should have been paying in the first place. I mean, I think it's a scandal. But these We've got will, to stop worshipping yeah, so the, the rich list. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's one, one thing, but here the idea is really people who are at the bottom of the pyramid now actually all are doing things that they should be paying, you know, no amount of, even if those people pay tax, their salary is not going to increase as a correlation. So how can you or the society or the person individually, so because our listeners are individuals, to be smarter in a way that, okay, so... Perhaps the job I'm, I'm doing now is not getting paid well, but how can I be smarter to, you know, perhaps get more, you know, because everybody has got bills to pay and want to go to holidays and things like that. And some people are really struggling doing that, but they are well, providing that, value as well. Okay. But some of them are struggling to, and I've seen this with increasing number of younger people who get into social media which is producing a new competitive framework for keeping up with the Joneses. <laughs> Some of them struggle with what they see to be their peer group's pecking order of materialism. And um, you're in the wrong peer group, I think, if you want to have a meaningful life, because getting caught up in that competitive rat race which increasingly is making a lot of people economic slaves, which is compounded by the debt industry and the payday loan industry, which really was an unbelievable scandal where a, a few rich people, a few people made fortunes out of taking money from the poor. The so, individual himself, what individual can do rather than... You know, well, nobody can change the society right now, but in the individual itself, what will be some of the 
I think you can only counsel an individual one at a time because all their situations will be different. But I would say one thing in particular. Try to find a, a job that is as meaningful as possible and try as hard as possible not to be caught up with the materialistic agenda that everybody has been pressurised into. Of course, if you want to belong to a union and try to get more salary, that's great. If you get caught up with the idea that all you want out of your job is more money, I just wonder whether you've got the right job. So you've got to do two things. You've got to stop the materialistic pressure at one level, and you've got to try to find more meaningful work. You know, what you're saying is that you need to keep up with your priorities, right? To, to so put the right to, priorities. You've got to have the right priorities. Okay. So finally, building a movement. Right. Which movement are you building or right. would like to be leading? One of the things that I haven't had is an obsessive passion, and that's because I haven't managed to choose between all the things in a big enough way. Mm. But in the moment, I might be caught up, I'd do some work for the funding network, but under other circumstances, I would have liked to have been a very proactive philanthropist, but I sort of pretend at the moment that I can't afford it. I don't think that's right, it's an excuse, because I could do a lot more than I do. But it's a matter of finding that I'm in contact with somebody or something that excites my passion mm to a greater extent than all the other things that I dabble in. And so I'm not... What would you want to actually be remembered for? Oh, gosh. The honest intellectual answer to that is that very few of us are remembered for anything. And, of course, everybody would like to be remembered for the very bland statement, he did his best. Uh, in a way, um, I can wave a magic wand and get somebody else to help me with it. I would like to put together all the writings that I've done uh, into an edited publication and say, here is a body of intellectual output that he, he tried to have a positive influence on things. But in the current environment, I'm increasingly coming to the conclusion that's a waste of time. You're a philosopher. Is there a resource that people can um, actually read or find to actually lead a more meaningful life? If you have such right. resources to yeah. advise. Yeah, I think that it's a bit of a complacent thing to say, but if anybody wants to put my name, Dr. Bruce Lloyd, because there's a lot of Bruce Lloyds, into Google, they will find a lot of information about the wisdom writings, strategy writings, all those, all that material, and um, and also they'll find in my email address if anybody wanted to talk about or communicate about any of these issues further in the future. Okay, so you're happy for people to use your email address to contact you? Sure, if it's, if it's in the public domain, I can't <laughs> stop them. 
But uh, and I think it probably is. And, okay. So and yeah. I, I have a university one as well, which is uh, available mm -hmm. like everybody else is at university. Okay, so it was a great pleasure to talk to you. Uh, well, eventually you we know. got it sorted. <laughs> we got it sorted. Thank but, you very much. <laughs> what was your key takeaway from this episode? What are you committed to do today to find more meaning in your work and live a more meaningful life? If you are ready to leverage your personal brand in a meaningful way to create a successful business you love, book a call with me at francinebelay.com slash call. The show notes of this episode of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life are available on my webpage francinebelay.com slash podcast that F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash podcast with all the references and resources shared on this show. Once you are there, leave a message in the comment section to let me know about your key takeaway from this episode. If you enjoy this podcast and want to show your love and support, subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app where you are listening to this podcast and leave me a five-star review. It will take you a minute, but it will mean a lot to me and help me spread this message to many other people. Thank you for listening to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empower you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. I will see you next week for another epic episode. Until then, dream, act, and make an impact. Lots of love.